Good morning, everyone. There's something happening this morning. I, I, do you guys feel the presence of the Lord this morning? Can we thank him for his presence? Woo. Uh, Kathleen and I were away the last couple of weeks on vacation, and uh, I'll give you a hint to where we were. Buongiorno. Everybody, know? Everybody let's say it together. Buongiorno. That's Italian for good morning. We were in Italy. Uh, yeah. Going back to my roots, going back to the home country. Um, incredible trip. It, it was kind of a last-minute thing. I, I'm very thankful for our uh, brother, brother-in-law and sister-in-law who invited us. What happened was there was a connection they had with an international student that went to the Charles Finney School. They invited Mike and Colleen to come over. The girl, the international student, was, uh, liked Elliot. They were kind of dating, so that worked out really well. Um, so uh, Mike and Colleen, back in July, beginning of July, said, would you guys like to go with us? I said, well, let me pray about it. Okay, we'll go. And uh, they had a place for us to stay at Cost Free, and they hosted us. Uh, it was just such a blessing, and I've had about 300 cups of espresso. So it's still in my blood. So if I'm hyper today, it's I'm going to blame it on the espresso. Um, just a wonderful trip. Just a blessing. The people there are beautiful. The food was unbelievable. We stayed in Florence. That was our main place. It was in Florence. We got to travel. They they had a, a, a house on an island called Elba, which is close to Corsica. We got to go to an island. We got to swim in the Mediterranean. Uh, it, it Let's go. Let's all go. We're just going to... Take the whole church and we'll go there. So it was a blessing, a trip of a lifetime, and we just enjoyed it so much. I want to thank Pastor Brandon. Did a great job. Able to catch it online. So thank you, Pastor Brandon. And uh, love being able to be able to catch services online. And so we enjoy that. And uh, But you know what? I, it, this morning, you miss your church family. And just the presence of the Lord here is so strong this morning. And uh, just worshiping this morning, I was like, God, I'm so thankful for my church family and for all of you. We love you so much. And isn't it something about the church and the church family and God's presence here that you can't get anywhere else? And so God is good. God is good. Amen. Amen. So we're glad to be home, and uh, we are continuing our series uh, in the Ten Commandments. And what I want us to look at today is I want to give us a different, a different look at this the seventh commandment that we're uh, going to jump into about not committing ad- adultery. This is a tough one. The reason why this is a tough commandment is for the reason why some of you may have made bad choices in your life. Maybe it affected you personally. And you still have those scars in your life because of it. And what I want to do is I I want to look at the heart of this because I believe that if we understand the heart of this and, and how we can – I want to look at a fair-proofing our hearts, not not just our marriages or, or how to give you examples on how to have a strong marriage, but how many know we need to a fair-proof our hearts that our hearts can be wayward, that, that we struggle with the flesh constantly. And at the heart of the commandments is really relationships, 
God desires to have a relationship with you, and God desires for us to have correct relationships with one another. It's so much more about the do's and the don'ts and not doing this and not doing that and just mechanically going through the motions. It really has everything to do with our hearts. And so God, what he does for us is he sets up guardrails in our lives so that we can live in freedom. He's not out there to take away our freedom, but he says, I want you to live in this freedom. Guardrails are there for a, mo- for, for a reason. There's a reason why there's a fence, right? Sometimes you walk into a fence and you say, well, I don't like that fence until this huge dog approaches the fence. Then you're like, I like that fence. Or guardrails. You like guardrails when you're driving 3,000 feet up and there's a guardrail that at night you can easily go off the side. Guardrails are good. God gives us guardrails in our lives because he loves us. And he wants to have a healthy relationship with us. The commandments also show our need for Christ, that there's no way in my own strength and ability that I could ever uh, obey these commandments in my own strength. Because how many know we mess up and we make mistakes and we make, make wrong choices all the time? It shows us that we need Christ and we need a relationship with him so that he would change our hearts. And so there's this question that was posed to Jesus, and it was really they were trying to trick Jesus and they were always trying, you know, the Pharisees were so often trying to embarrass Jesus and, and, and trying to expose Jesus. And there was a question that was asked to him about what the most important commandment was. And I love Jesus's response here in Matthew 22, 37 through 39, Jesus replied to them by saying this, he said, love the Lord, your God with what, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I want you to think for just a moment. I want you to think for a moment. If we did just those two things, we would have no issues with any of the other commandments. See, Jesus understood that if we could get our relationship with God correct and our relationships with one another correct, we would not have a problem with stealing from someone, robbing from someone, murder. We wouldn't have any of those issues because we would be honoring God and honoring one another. See, the issue and the problem we struggle with so often boils down to our relationship with God and our relationships with others. Can I get an amen? When we think of all our problems and all our issues, so the majority of it is relational. And so the commandments are all about relationships. This is why Jesus boiled down all 613 commandments to two. So what is Jesus saying? He says it means to have total devotion to God and we're to seek the greater good of our neighbor. He boils down all 613 laws and he says, here are the two most important. Be totally devoted to God and seek the greater good of your neighbor. So Jesus is showing us that we need to have a mind shift away from me and what I, God desires and what can I do for my neighbor. Jesus shows us the greatest love by giving himself for us. He demonstrates this to us. A relationship with Christ changes my heart to serve him and to serve others. 
So what is fueling my desire to serve and to obey God? What is the reason why I should be obeying God? What is the reason why I should be serving my neighbor? Something should be fueling that. And Jesus says, what should be fueling that is your love for God and what he's done for you and your love for your neighbor. It's a total mind shift from what we are told in society about looking out for yourself and looking out for your own needs. And so we're to serve God and we're to serve others. So God wants us to understand the heart of this commandment. And at the heart of the commandments of God is love. It's love. Love should be our fuel, our love for God and our love for one another. So how do we know God loves us? Let, let's, before we jump into this topic of adultery, let's, 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 let's understand what love is. Let's understand the Christian biblical definition of what true love is. How do we know that God loves us? Did he just tell us he loves us? Well, of course. But God shows us. He demonstrates his love towards us. God's love is more than words. It's more than words. It's solidified in his sacrifice for us. Amen? We know that he loves us by what he did for us. And see, at the root of our problem with God and others is, is our sin and our own selfishness. So what happens is, is sin breaks that relationship with God. And what God does is for us, he sends his son to restore that broken relationship by giving himself as a sin offering for us. So what God does is he demonstrates his love towards us by giving us his very son. He just didn't talk about it. He did something about it. So sacrifice, understand this, sacrifice is the foundation of God's love for us. Now you're saying, Pastor Barton, what does this have to do with adultery or uh, a fair proof in my, uh, my heart or my marriage? If we get this, if you get this, that sacrifice is the foundation of God's love for us, this is going to translate into your marital relationships, into your relationships. We have to understand about sacrificial love. And so what Jesus does for us is he gives himself to us completely in order to change our lives. So this is the opposite of what my heart wants at many times. Let's just be honest. Let's look at our hearts. Can we just be honest this morning? Can we sometimes tend to be selfish? Okay, four of you. Okay, come on, let's be honest. We can tend to be selfish. And why, I mean, my wife Kathleen always reminds me when I get impatient in the car, but she always acts like the Holy Spirit. Why does she have to do that? Okay, honey, okay, I get it. I need to be patient, right? So wh- why is that? Wh- why is that? See, we, we so many times with love, we use it to manipulate. We give in order to get many times, don't we? Um, there's always strings attached when you're doing something. There's strings attached, or there's the, the, the small print. This is free, but make sure you read the small print. You need a huge magnifying glass to read what the small print is, right? There's always something attached to it, it seems like. What's in it for me? Uh, why would I do this if it doesn't benefit me? And so we look to take care of ourselves, and we're selfish at times. But, but notice the commandments. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. You see, when we do these things, God understands something about this. It's not just doing them to say, oh, I'm a good person and I don't do these things. But when we do those things, what we're actually doing is we're robbing and stealing from someone else. We rob from them. We devalue them. And God says, you need to value me with all your heart, mind, and soul, and you need to value your neighbor. You need to value your marriage covenant. 
And so as we jump into the seventh commandment, I want us to understand the waywardness from love and sacrifice is really at the root of adultery. It, it's, it's a waywardness from love and sacrifice, and that's what is at the root of this commandment. So Exodus 20.14 simply says, you shall not commit adultery. Now, we can look at this commandment and think, well, Pastor Barton, this is obvious. This is an obvious commandment, you know, duh. But I want you to understand something. As difficult as this subject is, I know some of you are here and you've been affected personally or someone close to you. Let, let me say this. There is healing in God. You can be restored from that brokenness. There's brokenness that comes from wrong choices and choices that were very damaging. And some of you are here. You're on, you, you might be on either side of that fence. Either you made the mistake or it was done to you. And I know this is very difficult for many of you, but I do believe with all my heart that there's healing. And I do believe that there's forgiveness in Christ Jesus. And he heals us and he forgives us and he can restore us. Amen. That's the heart of the gospel message. That's the hope for you here today, for all of us who have made wrong choices and rebelled against God or just, you know, just have done wrong things. And we're thankful for the love of Jesus who gave his life for us for our sins, that we can find forgiveness in him. So what's really at the core of this issue? Let me get to the core of this issue. Really, what's at the core of this issue is, is our heart. And let me say that none of us are beyond failure. Any, Just remind yourself of this. Any sin we commit had its start with many small choices to compromise. And, and I think the one thing that we need to do consistently in our lives is keep close watch of our heart and our waywardness. Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Guard your heart. That's where it starts. It's those small little compromises, the things that we justify in our life, the things that we think, well, that's not really that big of a deal. It starts there and it grows and it grows and it grows. See, it starts believing that maybe we're above doing something wrong. Never believe that lie. Never think too much of yourself that you're not one step away of, from making a wrong decision. See, we must protect, we must be proactive in guarding our hearts against sin. And I believe one of the most powerful passages in the Bible that deal with our sin directly is found in Psalm 51. Let me give you a background here. Psalm 51 is, is David's repentance to the Lord for his adultery with Bathsheba. And, and, and the prophet Nathan comes to David and exposes his heart. And then this psalm shows David's heart and his repentance towards God. I think this is one of the most important psalms that deal with repentance and how to correctly deal with our hearts. See, when the prophet Nathan exposed David for his adultery with Bathsheba, David does repent. See, here's the interesting thing of David. David made, can we all agree David made a ton of mistakes? almost broke all the commandments, yet the New Testament looks back and says that he's a man after God's own heart. Wait a minute, Pastor, are you, you know, was your orange juice expired this morning? What's going on? He, he committed adultery, a man murdered, he did all these things, and yet looking back, he's called a man. Why is he called a man after God's own heart? Here's the reason why. He recognized his sin and he repented before God. And he renewed his relationship with the Lord. Now, did he have to live with the consequences of his choices? Absolutely. But did he find forgiveness in his relationship with God by coming to him and confessing? Yes, he did. 
And so I want, to, I want you to see his heart here in Psalm 51. Let me read just part of it. David says, For I know my transgressions, and I know my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what was evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. And listen to what he says. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. See, David, what he does here is he, he owns it. He recognizes his sin. He understands that his sin is ever before him. Just remind yourself that that, that, that choice to sin is always before us, that none of us in this room are beyond making a wrong choice. That's why we have to guard our hearts. Remind yourself that you're always one step away from making a wrong choice. Don't get full of yourself. Just remind yourself of that. David has a correct view of his heart. And what keeps us right before God and what allows our hearts to become a fair proof is humility. Humility will always keep your heart right before God. Walking before the, that that doesn't mean constantly beating yourself up and saying you're no good, you're no good. Humility is recognizing who God is in your life. Humility says, God, I'm not perfect and I make mistakes and I, I need to constantly have my heart cleansed before you. Humility is not having a, a, a bigger uh, idea about yourself or or an inflated view of yourself. I like what Sean McDonald says here. He says, recognizing the depth of our own sin will help us be more loving towards other people. Now, listen, if, um, if I'm not very loving towards other people, I'm not walking in humility. I, I, I'm viewing myself too much. I'm, I'm, I'm having an inflated view of myself too much when I'm not loving other people. But recognizing the depth of my own sin helps me be loving towards other people. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity has this great observation about humility. And he, he talks about, well, how do, you, how do you acquire humility? And it was interesting. He says this, and, I, and I, I love this. He says, if anyone would like to acquire humility, I can, I think, tell him the first steps. The first step is to realize that one is proud. So let's all say we're proud. We are. Okay, so let's admit that. Good. Step one. Good. You guys are doing good. That's step one. I'm proud. And a bigger step two, at least nothing whatever can be done before it. If you think you are not conceited, it means that you are very conceited indeed. Isn't that a good quote? Ouch. Everybody say ouch. Okay, ouch. I was uh, listening to a podcast, and um, there was a pastor on there who kind of got called out for, for his humility quote-unquote humility, and he was talking about how humble his church was. And he kept saying to this other guy, like, yeah, he goes, our church is humble. This is what we do, and we really care. He kept calling about humility, and so the guy looked at him, kind of called him out. He goes, man, you really like to talk about humility a lot in your church. He goes, is that really humility, or are you bragging about your church? And the guy was just like, he he just stopped dead, and he goes, you're right. You're right. I'm talking about humility. He goes, you seem to talk about humility quite a bit about your truth. And that's where I have to catch heart because really what's at the depth of that is, is, is us being proud. And we have to guard that. David humbled himself before God and allowed God to lift him up. Not himself, but allowed God to lift him up. So humility, understand this, and, and then I'm going to give you a couple things about affair proofing our hearts and our marriages. But listen to this. Humility and sacrifice go hand in hand. Humility 
and sacrifice go hand in hand. This has everything to do with our marriages and our relationships with, with one another. So the question is this, how do we affair proof our hearts? How do we strengthen our marriages And how do we have great marriages that are pleasing to the Lord? It has everything to do with sacrifice and humility. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring this into the New Testament to how the Apostle Paul says marriages should be. But before we get there, let's talk about a bad marriage. A bad marriage is one of competition, right? Have you ever been in that? where you get in an argument and then it becomes a competition of who's going to win or who has the better argument. Don't those go really well? Don't those end really well? A bad marriage is one of competition. It, it, it becomes a power struggle of who does more. But what, but what God says in marriage is it's everything that we do to strive for oneness in the marriage. That doesn't mean we're not going to have differences. That doesn't mean we're not going to have differences of opinions. That doesn't mean we're going to have discussions about things that hurt us or things that we may not see eye to eye on. But what are we doing to lead to oneness in our relationships, whether it's in a marriage relationship or or whether it's in the the body of Christ? Because how many know we're not always going to see eye to eye in the body of Christ? Amen. That we all have our opinions about things or how they should be done. But what are we doing to strive for oneness and that relationship and walking in love. A bad marriage is always one of competition. So what if we made, let's just say this. Let me throw just throw out a crazy concept. Are you ready? What if instead of striving to one-up someone or, or this competition or you don't do enough for me or you need to do this or blah, 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 blah. What if we made our marriages a competition of service? I heard some, mmm, didn't hear a lot of amens, Pastor. No. So, listen, what if we made it a competition of service? Listen to what the Apostle Paul says about marriages and how they are to reflect our relationship with Christ. Love these words. This is what he says. So he speaks to the wives, and then he's going to speak to the husbands. Listen to what he says. For wives in your marriage relationship, this means to submit to your husband. Now, the minute I say submit, some of you just cringe up and you're ready just to, oh, I don't want to. Okay, we're going to talk about that. Okay, just calm. Everybody take a deep breath. Okay, just calm down because we're going to unfold this so no one storms out of the church and I don't get any hate mail. Okay, so let's, for wives, this means to submit to your husband as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife as Christ is head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. And as the church, notice the transgression here, as the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands and everything. Let me put a pin there for just a second. This does not mean it's an employer-employee relationship. That doesn't mean the husband is the employer and the wife is the employee where she's got to do everything the husband says and blah, blah, blah. It's about roles. It's about headship. It's about covering. Christ covers the church. The husband protects and covers. 
his bride. This is where the husband steps up and says, my role is to cover my wife, to protect her, to love her, to see her succeed in the things of the Lord. And I will do my, and husbands, listen, you may have not had the best example of, of what a marriage should be. Obviously, our society does not give us many good examples of what a husband should be. But what Paul is saying here is our role, our role, is not to be a dictator, is not to be harsh. It's a covering. I've shared this story before, and I love this illustration. There's a pastor in Costa Rica who was marrying his daughter. And when they came down the threshold, when they came down the aisle, um, the pastor who was going to do the wedding too was with his daughter and he's taking her on the aisle and he had an umbrella over both of them. And he walks down and he gets to the front. He, has his, he, he, he gives the umbrella to somebody and he has them before each other. And as he goes to the ceremony, he looks at his future son-in-law as he's getting ready to marry. He then takes the umbrella and hands it to him. He said, you're her covering now. I was her father. I covered her. But your role and your responsibility now is to cover her with your life. But love and protection and honor. We have to understand that our wives are the daughters of Christ. And we want to do everything we can to protect that. He goes on in verse 25 to say, for husbands, this means to love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave up his life for her. I go back. What is love? Humility and sacrifice. Listen, if you can understand that in your marriage about humility and sacrifice, guess what the wife is going to do? She's going to come under your covering because you're doing what the Lord desires you to do, to love her with your heart, your life, your soul, just as we are to love God. So husbands, do the same as Christ. Our marriages should mirror Christ and the church. That doesn't mean we're perfect. That doesn't mean we don't make mistakes. But when we do... Humility and sacrifice. Wives to the husbands, husbands to the wives, admitting your mistakes, admitting your flaws, asking for forgiveness, communicating to one another. It's with the heart. What that does is it it, it just sucks the air out of that competition. It sucks the air out of unforgiveness and bitterness and the things that we hold against one another. When we come to Christ... And we find his forgiveness and his love. And we shower that onto our spouse. It sucks the air out of my competition and wanting to be right and wanting it to be my way. And Christ is glorified in your relationship. Amen? Man, that's good preaching, Pastor. I'm glad I got to preach that to myself. That's good stuff right there. So I want you to see here the language that Jesus uses here and the language that Paul uses is not a contract. 
right? I say it all the time. If you're at a wedding and the pastor's up there and said, okay, wife, you got to do the laundry, the dishes, you got to wash the car, you got to do, and then can you check that off? Yeah, I'll check that off. And the husband, you got to do this, this, this. We'd, we'd be like, what? What kind of wedding is this? You'd take your toaster and you'd run out of the back of the church, right? You'd be gone. Notice the wedding vows. They're covenantal, not contractual. What do they say? What are the wedding vows? Someone just shout one out. What's that? Okay. In sickness and in health. What is that? That's a vow. For richer or for poorer. See, those are that's covenantal language. It's a vow you make to God to say, I'm going to stick with you. Those are the words that Jesus speaks to us. Covenantal. Barden, you're going to mess up a lot, but I'm going to never leave you or forsake you. Nothing can ever separate you from my love. The words that Paul speaks, the words that Jesus speaks are covenantal. And I want you to remind you that a sacrifice will always cost you something. Otherwise, it's not a sacrifice. Your true love for your spouse will cost you something. It cost Jesus his very life. That's how much he loves us. Um, I'm going to recommend you the best book I've ever read on marriage. It's by Tim and Kathy Keller called The Meaning of Marriage. I could not recommend this more highly. I don't recommend a lot of books. This one I do. Let me read to you what he says about the difference of infatuated love and true sacrificial love. I love what Tim and Kathy Keller say here. Listen to what he says. It is possible to feel you are madly in love with someone when it's really just an attraction to someone who can meet your needs and address the insecurities and doubts you have about yourself. And that kind of relationship you will demand and control rather than serve and give. The only way to avoid sacrificing your partner's joy and freedom on the altar of your need is to turn to the ultimate lover of your soul. He voluntarily sacrificed himself on the cross, taking what you deserved for your sins against God and others. What Tim Keller is saying here is this. The only way to truly experience that true love that you're looking for that doesn't become a selfish love or trying to get from that other person to always give you, because that's really the problem in relationships is expectations. You expect this person to do this, that, and that, and when they don't do it, you get frustrated, then you get in arguments, right? It's just, it goes on and on and on. But when you come to Christ and you realize that I didn't bring anything to the table, that he demonstrates his love towards me, that while I was still a sinner, Jesus gave his life for me. Jesus didn't wait for me to get it all together. He died for me. And I think if we can understand our marriages that it's about a sacrifice, it's about giving. It's about humility and it's about serving. So many of our issues will dissipate. So many of the things we thought were such a big deal aren't going to be that big of a deal. Aren't you glad for the sacrificing love of Jesus Christ that he displayed upon you when none of us deserved it. Can I get an amen? That's what he does for us. That's how we are to display 
our love towards our spouse through the love of Christ. I love what Tim says here. We need to sacrifice that on the on the on this altar of our own needs and just sacrifice that and we need to come to the ultimate lover of our soul. Because in that kind of relationship, when we want it our own way and ourselves, we'll demand and control rather than serve and give. And the only way we can find that true relationship is by understanding the gospel of what Jesus Christ did for us. When that's at the core of your heart, in the core of your life, you're going to serve your spouse the way Christ served us. So three questions, and we're going to pray. Think to yourself, what am I sacrificing for my spouse? Ask yourself, how am I serving my spouse? And then ask this third question, what are you giving to them to help them grow and feel loved? What are you giving to them? How are you supporting them to help them to grow and feel loved? One of the biggest struggles you will ever have in your life is that struggle in your marriages. Amen. Anytime I do a message on marriage, it's the one that's listened to the most for good reason, because we all struggle if we're honest with ourselves. And in order to have a marriage that's honoring to God, we have to come back to the gospel message of what Jesus Christ has done for us and to serve each other as Christ has served us. Amen. So I'm going to pray for you this morning. There's two things I want to pray for as we close today. Number one, I want to pray for those of you who just have some deep wounds in your heart, some scars from your past, from toxic relationships that you've had. I want to pray for Christ's love and healing in your life to find that forgiveness and love and covering in Christ. And also I want to pray um, for marriages today that Christ would help you that you would elevate your love to a new level in Christ Jesus, that you would look for ways to serve each other, that it would be a competition of service. And anytime you guys see yourself being, you know, competitive, you're just going to say, we're going to listen to Pastor Barden's sermon again, okay? We've got to revisit this again. Or say, we're going to call Pastor Barden. No, don't call me. I don't want to. And I want to just pray for God's healing in that relationship. Amen. I believe this with all my heart. When we have strong marriages, we have a strong church. We do. So let's pray and ask the Lord just to help us and just give us his strength and that we all struggle in this area and we need God's help. So Father God, we come before you and we just need your help. I pray for those right now, God, that have just gone through some difficulty in their past, broken relationships, divorces. God, I pray for your healing and your comfort in them. I thank you that you heal that brokenness within our heart through your precious sacrifice. So I pray for those that still battle with that, still battle with the memories, the hurt, the baggage. I thank you, Lord, that we can find redemption in you and healing in you, Jesus. I pray for marriages today in our church. I pray, Lord, that our marriages would center around you, Jesus. I pray for those that maybe are in marriages where one of the spouses is not serving the Lord. I, I pray for strength for them. I pray for help for them. I pray for your peace for them, God. 
And I pray for marriages, God, that we would just see how serious it is to honor you, to honor one another. And so thank you, Jesus, for helping us. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us the example of what it means to truly love and to walk in a covenantal marriage, not a contractual marriage. And as we make mistakes, which we will, and we blow it, may we walk in humility, may we walk in forgiveness, may we ask for forgiveness, may we take the example of David. And we thank you, Jesus, that there is forgiveness and healing in you. We love you. We thank you. I thank you for this church. I thank you for your word, God. Your word is truth. God, you understand marriages because you designed them. And I thank you that we're not lost in this world to try to figure it out on our own, that we have the truth of your word to help us and to guide us. We're grateful for that this morning. And so we want to give you all the glory, Jesus, for what you've done for us. You're such a perfect Savior in every way. We love you. We thank you. And we want to be careful to ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. In Jesus' precious name. And all God's children said, can we thank the Lord this morning for his word? He's so, so good. Amen. (laughs) Amen. Listen, before I, I, I let you go, um, Kathleen, I will be up front here this morning. Some of you may be here today and you just need prayer. And uh, we don't want to let you go without praying for you. Um, and there'll be others. My parents will be up here. There'll be others up here that would love to pray with you. And whatever you might be going through today, we want to just pray for you and just let the Lord touch your life and your heart. Amen. Enjoy your afternoon. We will see you guys next week. God bless you.